you your Bible approximately in the middle of it, you'll find the verses I want to read with you today. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 to begin with, and then in one of the Psalms. So let's read just Ecclesiastes 11 at verse 1, and then we'll turn to a verse in the Psalms as well. Like Ian has said and prayed, we count it a privilege and an honour to be gathered here in God's presence today, listening to his word, and we trust that he does speak to each one of us through the scriptures. Let's read then Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1, which is the word of God, and it says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. We want to look at what that means in a few minutes. But before we do that, leave your finger in that part of the Bible as we're coming back and turn out to Psalm number 55. Psalm 55 at verse 22. Where again we hear the Lord speaking to each one of us. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. These two verses are upon my mind today, and I trust I can impress them on your minds too during the conference. They are the word of God to us all. Two things. Cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your burden upon the Lord. They are not the same, obviously. They are related. They are linked. We'll look at the link between them. But during the first part of the meeting today, I want to look in some detail at the first of these expressions. What does it actually mean to cast your bread upon the waters? And how come you will find it after many days? And then in the evening, I hope we'll look at the other verse from the Psalms and see what it means that we should cast our burdens upon the Lord and know how he will sustain us. Although the two verses deal with two different subjects, they are linked, obviously, they are linked by the first word, the word cast. What does it mean to cast your bread, to cast your burden? It's a word we do use in everyday language. I guess that some of you living by the banks of the beautiful River Dee, if not yourselves, you've watched others with a long bit of wood or fiberglass and a string on the end of it, and they are casting into the river deliberately throwing out a line and hoping against hope that something gets onto the end of it. That's not the meaning here, but it's related because the word cast is a word we do use quite often and it's not the same as just letting something fall. It's not the same as just throwing something away. It infers carefully calculated action. It means that it's deliberate and decided upon what you're going to do. You're going to move something away from you and transfer it to someone else. Not accidental, not capricious. And the Bible itself contains the phrase, I'm sure some of you are thinking about this. John 21, the Lord Jesus said to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Cast the net on the right side and you will find it. And these fishermen, disappointed though they were, deliberately took the net and cast it over the side of the boat. And lo and behold, they landed 153 fish. I don't think a D-side angler could beat that. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, 
we read about four and twenty elders in heaven and it says about them that they cast their crowns before the throne these were deliberate premeditated definite actions now we use the word we use the phrase in our verses today perhaps not literally but certainly metaphorically but nonetheless deliberately and carefully the Lord wants us to cast our bread upon the waters he wants us to cast our burden upon the Lord so the two phrases are linked by the first word in them the two phrases, the two verses are also linked by the construction that they have each of them says when you do something then something else follows if you do A then B will be the consequence and that too is a common structure in the Bible which I'm sure you know in Matthew 11 and 28 for example a well known verse that I'm sure has often been quoted from this pulpit the Lord Jesus says come unto me and I will give you rest if you come to him he will give you rest if you don't come to him he cannot give you rest it requires deliberate concentrated conscious act to come to the saviour can I take a moment and just say in case there's anybody here today who hasn't done that yet this is what you need to do nothing complicated nothing complex simply to come to Christ in faith repenting of your sin and if you come if you do your part he will certainly do his come unto me he says and I will give you rest it's personal it's definite and then the Lord said on another occasion, Mark chapter 1, I'm in now, He said to certain fishermen, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Same idea. And these men did exactly what the Lord said. They did come after him. And he did make them to become fishers of men. It didn't happen all at once. But they took the step of coming after Christ, of following him. And he made them eventually to become fishers of men. Think of the huge catch that Peter and the rest of the apostles landed in Acts chapter 2. How we wish we could see more of that today. There's another example of if you do A, he will do B. If you come after him, and it's still true, if you follow Christ, he will make you and me to become fishers of men. We won't learn it all in a day, but we will learn it if we follow Christ. And so in the same way in our verses, you have to cast your bread upon the water. If you don't, you will not find it later. You will lose it. You have to deliberately and carefully and willingly cast your burden upon the Lord. And if you do that, He will sustain you. And if you don't do that, that will not be able to happen. So let's follow this through, shall we? And come back to Ecclesiastes 11 for the moment and see what it means, this phrase, cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. The best way to get the meaning of this verse, I think, is to read the rest of the chapter. So let's, let's do that now. Come back with me to Ecclesiastes 11 and let's read on to chapter 12, verse 1. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his work to us all as we think about this. So the wise man Solomon, it was him who wrote this, remember? The wise man Solomon, with the word of God on his lips, says, 
Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the north, toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. I'm sure God will bless his word. As we read that chapter, I think it does shed a lot of light on the first verse. And in particular, it shows how this first verse applies not so much to older people, but to younger people. So if I may, during the first half hour or so of this afternoon meeting, I want to address most of my remarks to young folk. It's great to see so many young folk here. I really am delighted to look into your face. I was once as young as you a long time ago. And it's just great to see you here. And I've got something special to tell you today. You older folk, however, must not go to sleep. You have to listen as well. Because what is true for youth is also true for age. But I'm thinking, you see, that if it says here, cast your bread upon the waters, because you'll find it after many days... Those who are younger have more many days to look forward to than those who are older. That's logical, isn't it? You have a long life in front of you if the Lord doesn't come to look forward to the fulfillment of this great promise in the Bible. And then to balance things in the evening, and I hope you young folk will come back in the evening, I've rather got a message for older folk, cast your burden upon the Lord and he'll sustain you. And this is really because, well, it's not that young folk don't have burdens, but usually, usually, as you get older, the burdens get bigger, and you need the Lord to carry you through whatever age you are. So I've laid out my menu. I hope that today we can fulfill it, and that you will be encouraged, whether you're young, like you, or old, like me, or somewhere in between. Let's think about what it means to cast our bread upon the waters. Let me say what, quickly what it doesn't mean And I hope you don't think me profane as I say so It's nothing to do with going along to the dusty park And throwing bread to the ducks 
or to the quayside in Torre and throwing it to the fish. No, it's not that idea. This is something that's taken from long ago, the day when Solomon was writing, the days of fairly primitive agricultural practices in the land of Israel. You see what happened many a year was that during the winter the ground was flooded. Whether you lived beside a river or not, frequently the farmland was flooded. And come springtime about now in our times here, the farmer had his decision to make. He'd stored up grain from the previous harvest, and that grain was precious to him. From that grain he would make bread, he would develop food for his household, for his family. But he didn't dare use it all. He had to save some to sow on the fields for another harvest to follow. And so in a literal setting, this verse means that the farmer had to take this advice on board. And he had to look out on the wet, flooded ground and think about this. Am I making the right decision to take this precious grain from which my household could be fed and deliberately throw it, cast it onto the wet, flooded ground? Am I wasting it? Or am I investing it? And this verse says, you really have to invest it. What you and I have got now, let's come to ourselves, not thinking about farmers of long ago, but all of us here, we've all got something from the Lord, something spiritual that is valuable. And you've got to say to yourself, what I've got, is it too valuable to waste? Or is it too good to keep to myself? This verse says, it is too good to keep to yourself. You've got to cast it upon the waters. Some examples from the Bible put it in context as well. You remember that story about Mary, Mary of Bethany. She had something precious. She had that ointment in that bottle. And it was precious. It was valuable to her. But she took that bottle and broke it and poured the ointment on the blessed Saviour. It was too good for her to keep to herself. It wasn't too valuable to give, although Judas said, why this waste, remember? She didn't think that way. She took it, she broke it, she poured it on him whom she loved. Or there is the little lad with the five loaves and two fishes, remember? He had what we might politely call nowadays his packed lunch. I guess there was very little packing about it in those days. But he gave it to the disciples who in turn gave it to the Lord and from what he gave up, thousands were fed. In another context, there's Hannah. Remember how bitter she was in soul, how burdened she was because she didn't have a child. And she prayed and waited upon God and God gave her Samuel. Samuel was so valuable. Samuel was so precious and yet she says, I'm giving him to the Lord. And again in another setting in the New Testament there was the Philippian believers to whom Paul wrote and he spoke about the gifts that they had collected and sent to him and he says you've given this to me but that's not the end of the story the story will go on it's going to be fruit to your account so these and, other, these and other ways we can prove for ourselves that we should cast our bread upon the waters and we will find it after many days or at least so goes the promise of scripture
So let me bring us to a point now in how it may apply to ourselves right here in Torrey this afternoon. I want us to take it for a motto, something that you can carry with you. Cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. I want us to think about it as a motto for spreading the gospel. I want to think about it as a motto for giving our resources and indeed a motto for living our lives because all of these things are in the chapter we read. Did you notice in verse 1, cast your bread. In verse 2, give a portion. In verse 6, sow your seed. In verse 1 of chapter 12, remember your creator. In all of these areas, the Lord says, cast your bread upon the waters. Don't keep what you've got to yourself. Make sure it reaches out beyond the bounds of your confinement and it will come back to you after many days. So let's take a few minutes thinking about this in the context of spreading the gospel, the work of the gospel of Christ in 21st century Aberdeen, St. Lawrence, Bridge of Weir, Peterhead, wherever you've come from. This applies to us. First of all, you would agree with me, wouldn't you, that Christ is the bread of life. We have each partaken of him. We have each come to him and found that he has satisfied our deepest longing. He's given us eternal life, says the Lord. Those who eat of this bread will never hunger. And we have found Christ as the bread of life, totally satisfying the deepest need of our soul. More than that, the good seed... The good seed that we sow is, the Bible says, the very word of God. And we've also found that deeply precious and deeply satisfying. Peter, as he writes his epistles later on, uses these very ideas. He says in 1 Peter 2, Unto us who believe, he is precious. I trust my brother, my sister, whatever age you are today, I trust that you are knowing that in your soul, the preciousness of Christ. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, we've got exceeding great and precious promises, and I hope also that you are really enjoying and living in the good of God's great and precious promises. They are so precious to us inside our souls. But these are not too valuable spread them to others they're not too good for us to keep them to ourselves the big thing is God says take these resources that I've given you and cast them on the waters and you will find them after many days the waters needless to say just speak about what's around you in other parables the field is the world But here I'm thinking about the waters. The waters are sometimes in the Bible referring to the the restless nations. But let's just think about them as our own surroundings. The people you live beside. The folks in the vicinity of your assembly hall. The folk you may get access to in whatever way you can to bring them the gospel. Let's think about casting our bread. Giving to them the bread of life. Taking the good seed of the word of God and sowing it, as it says in verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand. And so like the farmer, you look out 
And you see the ground is flooded. It's uninviting. It's maybe even slippery and dangerous. But that will not deter the farmer from taking his precious grain, his precious bread, and casting it upon these waters. Because he knows that there will be no harvest if the grain is not kept. And similarly for us believers, whatever age and stage we are at in the Christian life, the challenge is the same. There will be no fruit in the gospel unless we as God's people distribute it, get it out to where it's needed. One or two verses in this chapter give some interesting points about uh, sowing the seed, about how we should do it, when we should do it, and where we should do it. For example, verse 4 says, He that observes the wind shall not sow, he that regards the clouds shall not reap. In other words, you can't really wait for better conditions to come along, or you'll never get round to it. Because remember, conditions are never going to be perfect. The wind and the clouds will always be there to put you off if you let them. Actually, you know, if you listen to the forecast, or watch it, the forecast's often wrong, and it's certainly off-putting some days. But in the spiritual climate I'm thinking about now, in the climate of world opinion, in the climate of Scottish opinion, in the climate of city or village opinion, the gospel isn't really wanted. People may be glad enough to come so far and accept certain things, but the gospel isn't popular. And there's no point in us waiting for it to get better, because the Bible actually says it's going to get worse. Verse 5 points out another thing that shouldn't deter us, because verse 5 says, You don't know the way of the Spirit. You don't know the works of God. And so we should be willing to sow the seed without understanding the mechanisms of growth. How it is that God works in human souls, you don't know that, nor do I. It is a sovereign work of God. But that does not mean to say we should not get involved. The work of the gospel, the work of salvation, is entirely a work of God. And we don't understand how it happens, but we know that it does happen. But we shouldn't let this limited understanding that we have, because our understanding is never perfect. It's God who does it all. We should not let that hinder us in sowing the good seed of the gospel. And then verse 6 says another thing. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening don't withhold your hand. You do not know whether that shall prosper, or this, or whether both alike shall be good. Now what's that telling us? It's telling us that if we're going to sow this seed, we shouldn't be selective with respect to the time when we do it, morning and evening. In respect to the place where we put it, we shouldn't be keeping back just in case we don't do it right, in case we don't get it to the right place, because our expectation will never be accurate. It could be this, it could be that, or it could be both alike that are good. We have to leave that with the Lord. And so the command to us, the encouragement to us, a motto for our gospel outreach, our evangelism today is, cast your bread upon the waters. And God says, you will find it. And notice the next pair of words, 
after many days. Very, very seldom in the work of God do you see instant results. That's not comfortable either with modern day thinking. Most folk want things instantly, if not before that. But God's work is like seed that takes time to germinate. God's word says you will find it, but don't expect it today or tomorrow. It may happen rather after many days. Now there are folks here in this audience as well as on the platform who've proved that. A word spoken years ago, a tract you've now decades ago, a kind deed done in some way to someone long ago and you've maybe forgotten about it, has nevertheless, after many days, proved to be the work of God in a human soul. So we do not know about the conditions. They'll never be perfect. We do not understand how God does it, but God does do it. Our expectation won't ever be complete. But we go spreading the gospel. On a practical note, if you'll forgive me, because I think you know this anyway, on a practical note, there are several ways in which we can distribute the gospel out there. I've thought about four ways. You can do it by lip, or literature, or lifestyle, or by simply being links in a chain. And each of us can do it in some, if not all of those ways. We can spread it by lip. We can speak about it. People need to hear. It needs to be preached, but not everybody is gifted or meant to be preachers. But all of us can speak about the gospel. The early disciples, when they were scattered from Jerusalem, went everywhere, and it does say preaching the word, but it also says in conversation about the word. People need to hear the gospel. We spread it by the use of our lips. We spread the gospel by our literature. There is an abundance of very good literature available for evangelism, produced both in this country and abroad. I don't say that you can use every type of literature you get, but there is no lack of good evangelical literature that you can use based from simple paper, pen on paper, tract type materials, to CDs, to electronic means, the internet, even to Facebook. If you use that device, then be sure and include the gospel in it. Don't bother telling folk where you're going for your holidays or some stuff like that. Use it to spread the gospel because by our literature, whether pen on paper or electrons on a screen, it spreads the gospel to others. Spread it by your lip, by your literature. You say, well, I'm not very good at talking to people. You say, I can't master the internet, and I'm a bit shy about giving out tracts. Well, what about the third one? Spread it by your lifestyle. How you live is so important. In fact, how you live is maybe more important than what you say. I think it is. And by our lifestyle, we can not only commend the gospel, but we can spread the gospel. Many of us now retire. Remember days that we spent in workplaces where because of the way you live, because of the things you either did or didn't do, folk wondered what it was all about and you got the chance to tell them. 
You can spread the gospel by your lifestyle. If you live in a block of flats, if you live in a neighbourhood that's close connected, or in one that's separated by high hedges, your lifestyle, the way you move about, the way you conduct yourself, will not only commend the gospel, and it should, but will spread the gospel. And then there's the fourth one. The gospel can be brought to others by you or me just being a link in a long chain. And as I've looked back over my lifetime, I think that that's the way in which most people are led to Christ. I know they often sometimes hear dear brethren saying, I'm with justification, I'm so glad I was able to lead that soul to Christ. But you know, that's just really the last link in a long chain. The links in that chain probably involved teaching at a mother's knee, learning in a Sunday school, being taught a verse to memorise, being prayed for, being shown the way, hearing the word of God, and at last, by the work of the Spirit of God, conviction and conversion is reached. And there have been so many people who have been links in that chain for a person's salvation. Wouldn't it be great to you to, for you to know that you have been a link in the chain that leads someone to Christ? But it does lead us to do our bit. Galatians 6 says, Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, after many days, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It does need us to do our bit. To cast the bread on the water. First Corinthians 15 ends with a verse like this. Wherefore my beloved brethren. Be steadfast. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know. That your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Many things we do for life. Are in vain. They don't come to much. You see nothing out of them ever. But the Bible assures us. That anything and everything done. For Christ. Will have an outcome and an eternal outcome at that. So if we plant, or if we water, to quote from 1 Corinthians, God is the one who will give the increase. Or to take a verse from the Psalms, if we go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, we shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bearing precious sheaves with us. I hope you don't think I'm being arrogant or talking down to you or pretending that I know it better than you. Please don't think that way. That is not the case. I just wanted to remind us all today that we need to be active. We need to be involved. We need to be ongoing in the work of the gospel. Not retreating behind our shields or closed doors or whatever, but out casting our bread upon the water because we are assured that we will find it after many days and you know the many days may go on into eternity I often think in fact indeed I hope that eternity will bring tremendous surprises <coughs> there will be folk there that maybe you didn't know about that you had some part to play in that conversion you remember what Godly Rutherford said 
Oh, if one soul from Anwath meets me at God's right hand, my heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land. And you know what he meant, don't you? How wonderful to be home in glory, along with others that somewhere along the way you had a part in bringing them to the Saviour for themselves. So this is a motto that would encourage us in the work of the Gospel. But also in the chapter we read from, this is a motto that would encourage us in the use of our resources. Verse 2 says, Give a portion to seven, also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So as well as bread being for casting or for seed for sowing, bread is for giving, for sharing. The Lord taught his disciples to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Most of us nowadays, we've got to admit, don't have a problem about that. Usually our cupboards and larders and deep freezers are too full for words. But the idea of the Lord giving to us our daily bread, nevertheless, is important. He gives to us all we have, all the resources we have. If you're in employment, you've got to work for it. If you're retired, you get some kind of pension. But ultimately, it all comes from the Lord. It is His provision for you. What do you do with that provision? What do you do with the resources that you've got? Well, our verse applies. Cast them upon the waters, and you will find them after many days. In what way? Well, it says verse to give a portion to seven. If you give a portion to somebody, it means that the bread you've got has got to be broken, to be shared with others. As long as it's whole, it cannot be shared with anyone. And in the same way, what God has given to us, whether it be anything you receive as a young person, or what you earn in work, or what you receive from a pension fund, it does come from the Lord. And says the Bible, you should work so that you've got something to give to others. Ephesians 4 has a verse in it that says let him that stole steal no more but let him work with his hands so that he may have to give to those who are needy. Now I know abroad in the world there are many philanthropists who really do this well and sometimes we ask believers to shame. But the fact remains that abroad in the world, the main kind of philosophy is this. I'm going to work so that I've got money to spend on myself. Or I'm going to work so that I've got money to save up for a big thing in the future. But the Bible says we should work to have something to give to others. Paul writing Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, says to folk who are rich, charge them who are rich in this world that they don't trust in the uncertainty of riches, but that they are rich in good works and willing to distribute. You see, you know this, all these verses in the Bible tell us that what we've got, we've got from the Lord. What we've got, he wants us to share with others and to cast it on the waters, and we will find it after many days. How does that work? Well, it may even happen in this world. That somebody you've done a good turn to doesn't ever forget it. And it comes back to you one day. But even if that doesn't happen, the Lord Jesus says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Things of earth are subject to the action of moths and rust. Thieves can break through and steal. Our verse says we don't know what evil may be upon the earth. We don't know about any more collapses of banking systems and the like. We don't know what mishap may fall our present resources. But if these are distributed to others, you've already put them somewhere safe. They're stored safely in the bank of heaven. And you will find it after many days. That sometimes misunderstood verse in Luke 16, where the Lord told the story about an unrighteous man who didn't really do, as we would say, proper accountability with his goods. Ends with this phrase, make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, so that when they fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Has this same meaning? It means what you've got, use for the future. However other people may be dealing with things is not the point. The real point is make sure that you lay up for yourself a treasure in heaven. There's a third thing in this chapter I must bring to your attention before I finish. Let me recap. Casting your bread upon the water means you're going out with the gospel. You're spreading it by whatever means you can because you know that in that bread, in that precious seed, there is the power of God that will bring salvation to someone. You may not actually see it, but it will happen. Casting your bread upon the water means that what resources God has given you whether material, physical, spiritual, as well as resources of your time and your energy and your hospitality in your house, all of these are in it. Whatever of these you use for him, you will find after many days. But one more thing. Maybe, dare I say, the most important thing. This does refer to spreading the gospel. This does refer to liberality to others. But at the end of our chapter, it refers to the use of our lives. Not so much what we're going to do with the gospel literature. Not so much what we're going to do with the resources God's given us. But what are we going to do with our lives? And at this point, I really want you young folk to think about this. Because... Bread, the staff of bread, as the Bible puts it, is a picture of life. And this verse is about wasting your life or investing your life. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus, your soul can never be lost. It's firm in his hand. He will never let you go. But in addition to the salvation of your soul, you have a responsibility about your life. What are you going to do with it? Your soul could be saved, but your life could be lost and wasted. And the Lord Jesus said, I'm quoting from Matthew 16, Whoever keeps his life will lose it. Whoever gives away his life for my sake will find it. And the end of our chapter speaks about not so much folk of my age group, but folk who are young. They're saying, young man, young woman, rejoice in your youth. 
God doesn't want you to have a humdrum, downturned existence. He wants you to have a joyful life. He wants you to get the best out of life. And he says rejoice in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. But remember, at the end of your life, however long or short, God is going to call you to account. Live your life now in the light of how God will view it at the end. Give to God your whole life. Don't wait till you're older to think about serving God. Don't wait till after you've finished your education and got married and have children and retire maybe and then you think, well, I'll maybe get round to it then. Don't do that, please. Give God the whole bread, not the crusts. Give him what you've got. Think about the emptiness of a wasted life. Or the fullness of a consecrated life. Think about what verse 6 says, In the morning, so you see. In the morning of youth. Sow this seed of accountability to God for the life he's given you. It does say also in verse 6, however, In the evening withhold not thy hand, which means that, although this is specially an opportunity for young folk, it doesn't let old folk off the hook. In the evening, keep sowing the seed. Don't let your life be one of regret for opportunities that you've missed, but rather look back with some satisfaction on the attempts that you've made. I don't say the successes you've achieved, because these are quite transient and often indefinite, but the attempts you've made. <coughs> Ask yourself, am I living for myself now, as in verse 9, or am I living for a great day of accountability when God will call me into his presence and ask what I've done with that precious life that he gave me? If you do cast this bread upon the water, if you do resolve to give that life of yours to Christ, and ask him to use it as he wants to. What does the Bible say? You will find it after many days. You will find that throughout life, God will be real. God will bless you. And you'll find even more for eternity when you enter into heaven's glory with Christ. So I'm asking us all this afternoon to take this motto with us from the conference along with other things I'm sure our brother Stephen can bring to us from the word of God and to think about just taking this one verse and thinking about what it means cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days and I especially say to my younger friends you young men and young women with life in front of you don't leave too long a space between your conversion to Christ and you offering yourself in service for him. The big thing is to do it, and the best thing is to do it now. Don't wait till you get older. Just do it where you are and as you are. And it's amazing what God will do with a young life that is consecrated to him.
Can I close with a personal point? About 60 years ago, I attended a very respectable secondary school called Weed Academy in Amsterdam. Often in the mornings we met for assembly. In fact, every day we did that in those far off days. And we sang a Christian hymn, and there's a Bible reading, and a few comments were made by the rector. One of the hymns that we sang in those days has never left me for 60 years. I want to quote it to you today. It deeply affected me in my teens, and I'm just wondering if it will be a voice for somebody here today in their teens. It was written by a lady called Marianne Farmingham, who lived between 1834 and 1909. It was obviously her experience, and I'd like to think that I made it mine these many years ago. Here is what it says. Just as I am, thine own to be, friend of the young who lovest me, to consecrate myself to thee, O Jesus Christ, I come. In the glad morning of my day, my life to give, my vows to pay, with no reserve and no delay, with all my heart, I come. I would live ever in the light, I would work ever for the right, I would serve thee with all my might, therefore to thee I come, just as I am, young, strong and free, to be the best that I can be, for truth and righteousness in thee, Lord of my life, I come. I hope you can relate to that. I hope that you can take as your motor today that you will cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. Thank you.